continue in worship by taking our Bible this morning and turn to the 22nd chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 22. In our passage this morning, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a royal wedding. We've been talking about the kingdom of heaven for the last few weeks. We began back in the fall from 1 and 2 Samuel looking at David's kingdom, the kingdom of God here on earth. And then we talked about the coming of the king during Advent. And since Advent, since Christmas, we've been looking at different aspects of the kingdom. So this morning, we want to compare the kingdom to a royal wedding. Now, I know some of you get more excited about royal weddings than some of us. But I know in my lifetime, we've had some pretty good ones. I remember back in 1981 when Prince Charles married uh, Princess Diana. It was the 29th. Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, eldest son of Queen Elizabeth II and heir apparent. You know what Charles says every day? Mom, how you feeling? Anyway, heir apparent <laughs> was married to Lady Diana Spencer at St. Paul's Cathedral. I remember watching on television, it was quite a show. Just recently, May the 19th, 2018, uh, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex, third grandson of Queen Elizabeth II, younger son of Charles, Prince of Wales, and Lady Diana Spencer, sixth in line to the throne, was married to Meghan Markle at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. Royal Weddings. Invited to royal weddings. For Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding, 2,640 invitations were sent out. These people were invited to watch their arrival at Windsor Castle. But only about 600 people were actually invited to witness the ceremony. They were invited, 600 guests were asked to attend the ceremony at St. George's Chapel as well as a lunchtime reception. These 600 were reduced to 200 of their closest family and friends for a party hosted later that night. Now, I'd love to go just to see Frogmore House, but these 200 were the elite, 600 and 2,400 marriage invitations, royal weddings. Impressive, are you impressed? No, that's right, me neither. <laughs> Let me tell you something that impressed you. According to the Guinness World Book of Records, the largest and most lavish wedding in modern history took place in Dubai. Several years ago, an Arab prince was married and the cost of the 10-day wedding, the cost of the 10-day wedding was $44 million. That's somewhere... Some of you may have paid that in the neighborhood somewhere. Not this boy, but can you imagine? There, there were people who would give anything to be an invited guest to these royal weddings. Well, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a royal wedding. Let's read this in Matthew 22. And I'm going to, again, ask you to stand in honor of God's word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, king, who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited. Let me just, they had been invited, a save the date had been sent out, it's gonna be taking place. So he sends out the servants to invite them, to tell them the day has come. So this is their second opportunity. Invited them to the wedding feast. 
And they were unwilling to come. Man. Again, this is the third time. He sent out other slaves saying, tell those who've been invited. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. In the wedding hall with the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how'd you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask you now to speak to us in Jesus name. Amen. I tried to read with emphasis because I want you to know that this is a shocking story. It's a shocking parable. I'm sure the people who heard this story for the first time were sitting there, what? What? People refuse to go to a royal wedding? It's a shocking story, but it's a parable full of joy, full of irony, full of tragedy. For some in this parable, this is a chance of a lifetime. For others, it's a tragic tale of misplaced priorities, of death and outright rebellion. Let's look at three things, a simple outline this morning. First of all, the king's gracious invitation is extended. We see this. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited. Again, there was an initial invitation. Again, we would say that would be the save the date, save the date. And so when the day came, they were called to the wedding feast. So this is their second opportunity. Come to the wedding feast. Now again, think about it. A royal wedding would be the, not the social event of the season, but the social event of a lifetime. Come to the feast, come to the celebration. And it's obvious that Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like this. Let me remind you this morning that the Christian life is more like a feast than it is a funeral. <laughs> Some of us act like, you know, we were weaned on a lemon. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, people would say, well, I'd rather be a Christian than be happy. I remember walk, talking to a young person one time about giving his life to Christ. He said, no. Said, if I become a Christian, it means when I grow up, I'll have to marry a girl that doesn't even kiss. And yet, because a missionary died of mosquito bites. You know, that God will ruin me. And you know what? Sometimes the, the world is right. They don't see a lot of joy in the Christian life. And that's our fault, isn't it? We, of all people, ought to know how to party. Uh, pardon me, but that's it. We ought to know how to celebrate. Because God has called us to a celebration, not a concentration camp. You know, we act sometimes like, whoa, is me. Yeah, I'm servant of the Lord. Yeah. 
But you know, God calls us to a relationship with him. God calls us to a life in relationship to him that one day we'll be sitting at the feast, at the marriage table of lamb in his presence. Invited to the feast. Verse three, those who had been invited were called. The guests have already accepted the invitation. And on the day of the wedding, when the food was ready, the servants went and announced, it's time to eat. It's time to celebrate. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, I know ladies who love to go to the wedding just to see what the bride looks like. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Let me tell you, this $44 million doesn't hold a candle to what God has prepared for us. Think about that. Romans 8, Paul says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now I already get more amens than just one. Amen. Think about all that God has prepared for us, for those who love him. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has invited you to be a part of the most joyous wedding celebration that will ever take place. When the church, the bride of Christ, will be united with Jesus, the heavenly bridegroom, God's invitation has been extended if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you don't have any idea what we're talking about, today is the day. Realize that God is inviting you. The gospel is an invitation extended to you to come into a relationship with God, to prepare your heart for an eternity in his presence, an eternity of celebration. The invitation has been extended. The king's gracious invitation, however, was rejected. We see this in verses five through seven. The king sent out his servants with the follow-up invitation. It's time to celebrate. The food is ready. The steaks are on the grill. It's time. Come. Surprisingly, shockingly, those who had been invited by the king turned him down. Turned him down. Again, this had to be shocking to the original audience. No one refuses such an invitation. Jesus says, no, verse three, they were unwilling to come, verse five, but they paid no attention. Man. Again, those who heard this story, heard Jesus, have you ever heard a story where you're just shocked? Man, amazed. You know, Teresa and I like to watch these mystery shows sometimes on TV, and we're shocked how it turns out. And that's the one advantage of growing old. You can watch the same show over and over and never remember how it turns out. So that's good. But there's always some kind of shocking storyline. And that had to be the reaction of this crowd. What? They refused to come? They, those hearing the story would immediately have been shocked and appalled. Not only was it rude, but it was foolish. 
Think about this. Anyone who refused the king on any matter would have been guilty of treason, a crime punishable by death. When a king gives you to a invitation, it's not just an invitation, it is a summons. When the king wants you to appear, you appear because he is the king. For the third time, verse four, he sends out the messengers. Notice what he does this time. Third time, tell them, those who've been invited, I prepared my dinner and my oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered. You know what he's saying? Hey guys, here's the menu. We do that sometimes to coax people to come to our meetings. Hey, by the way, we're going to have barbecue and all the fixings. Now the meeting may be dry as toast, but we're going to have good food. (laughs) It's an all you can eat buffet. You don't want to miss the food. Then we do that. But this was not a meeting dry as toast. This was a celebration. And so the king tells them what's on the menu. They still refuse to come. They go to their farms. They go to their places of business. In verse six, it gets even worse. Not only did they ignore the invitation, but they became hostile toward the messengers. Some of these take the messengers of the king and they mistreat them and they kill them. This is truly an offense to the king. Verse seven, on the wedding day, the king, after three invitations, three opportunities, sends out his army and destroys these rebellious people. See, Jesus makes it clear that by rejecting these invitations, the people are not simply being rude, they're being totally rebellious. They are actually engaging in rebellion against the king's authority. Those who were indifferent as well as those who killed were guilty. So we see man's rebellion against God's invitation in the gospel. Now, specifically, this is the third parable that Jesus tells in a series of parables, answering a question over here. Look at chapter 21, verse 23. The Jews had asked him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So Jesus tells a series of three parables, and this is the third spoken specifically to the Jews. Jesus knew that the Jews had rejected the messengers of God. Some of the prophets they ignored, some of the prophets they killed, and Jesus knew that in the parable he told in the previous parable, the vine grower, that he, they would kill the son. They would kill the son. Look over chapter 23, verse 37. Chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So the king in verse seven sends his army out and destroys the rebellious people. 40 years after Jesus told this parable, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. A general by the name of Titus, who happened to be the son of the Roman emperor, invaded Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. The city was burned. It is said that a million Jews were slaughtered that day in that siege. Josephus, a secular historian who wrote of that day, tells us that children, 
old people, mothers and infants and priests alike were all massacred by the Romans. The judgment was horrendous and swift. Jesus said that's a picture of a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a, that's a picture of a place of destruction for those who refuse the invitation of the gospel. Indifference to the gospel and opposition to the gospel are both rejecting the gospel, which is rebellion on man's part and leads to the same outcome, destruction. You see, in reality, there are only those who are enemies of God and those who are friends of God. Those who have the life and those who don't have the life. The enemies of God reject his invitation and are judged. The friends of God receive his invitation and celebrate. You know, in reality, it's shocking. If we really understand the gospel, if we really understand what God is offering us through Jesus Christ, it's shocking that we could be indifferent to that invitation. It's even more shocking that we could be antagonistic toward an invitation like that. But that is reality. The gracious invitation of the king is rejected. But we do see, the third point, the king's gracious invitation is accepted. And we see this in verses 8 through 10. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. This is wedding day. But those who were invited were not worthy. Why were they unworthy? What did they do? They refused the invitation. That's all they did. They rejected the invitation. They were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now, there's a celebration the way the king had intended. The wedding hall is filled, the food is served, and people are having a great time. People who were ordinary people, people who off the streets, people who heard an invitation too good to refuse, come, eat, drink, celebrate my son's wedding. They were thinking, like I'm sure their audience was thinking, who in their right mind could turn down this opportunity? They received the gracious invitation. See, the king wants the banquet hall filled for the glory of his son. He wants his son to be honored by many. People from all walks of life will come to the celebration. Again, being true to the text, Jesus is telling the Jewish nation, you've heard the prophets, you killed them. The son has come, you're gonna kill him too. And the gospel is going to the Gentiles. The gospel is going out to the nations. That's what the Apostle Paul, his calling was to take the gospel to the nations. The gospel is to be proclaimed to all. The heart of the king is reflected that he is gracious to all, the evil and the good. It's a banquet. It's a celebration. And he's inviting people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe to come and be a part of this great wedding feast. What do we see? I think we see a glimpse of the heart of man, don't we? Stubborn, rebellious. But also see, we, we see a glimpse of the heart of God. Gracious, patient, 
continuing to go after those he had invited. Three opportunities. Now he goes into the highways and byways and said, whoever wants to come, you come. We see the extravagant love of God. We see the patience of God. Even with those who refuse to come. We see his love in bringing in as many as possible to feast, to a feast which they had not earned or deserved. We see the glory of the son who is worthy to be worshiped by the multitudes, by people from all walks of life. But in the midst of the celebration, Jesus makes one final powerful point. Lest we think of some type of universal gospel that, yeah, everybody's going to come in after the Jews are rejected, everybody's here. Jesus tells us about one guest. He said, there's a problem in paradise. Verse 11, when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Now, a wedding is a special occasion in it. I've noticed over the years, though, that dress for weddings here gets a little more casual through the years, which is fine. I'm all about casual, but not so for a royal wedding. Did you know that? On the invitation for Prince William and Kate's wedding, on the invitation, there were specific instructions what to wear to this royal wedding. The dress instructions were (laughs) directed for the men. It was stated on the invitation. I guess women naturally know they ought to dress up. But for the men, there were three options to the royal wedding. Men could wear a uniform, morning coat, or lounge suit. Now, thankfully, men have wives to tell them that a uniform is not your softball uniform. You don't go to a wedding in your softball uniform. And our wives would have to tell you a morning coat That's not the robe you wear downstairs to drink coffee in in the morning. That's not a morning coat. The uniform is a dress military uniform. A morning coat is a tux with tails. I would have gotten excited. A lounge suit. Boy, I'm going back to the 70s. I'm going to break out my lime green leisure suit. Or maybe that baby blue leisure suit that I used to style and profile. Somehow when I got married, my whole wardrobe changed. I don't know how. But it's not a leisure suit. A lounge suit is a tux without tails. So there is a proper way to dress for a royal wedding. How could this man be dressed in clothes that weren't appropriate? Well, just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. We know that those in the streets and byways were invited the day of the wedding. So it was a sudden invitation. They didn't have time to run home and get their best garb, even if it was their softball uniform. They didn't have time to go get ready in what they thought was appropriate. They went to the feast. And as was the custom in that day, the king, the host, provided wedding clothes for those who came. Notice he was the only one who was not dressed appropriately. Look at verse 12. Listen to what he said. And the king said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man said, nothing. He was speechless. He had no excuse. He could not say, well, I was in a hurry. He could not say, I I thought it was pink. I mean, it was blue and it was black. he He was speechless. You know why he was speechless? Because there was no excuse 
for him not having wedding clothes. It's not like God's going to say, well, this person is more privileged. I'm going to be gracious. No, God's grace was equal for all. God's grace was available for all. But here was a man who refused the gracious provision of the king and said, you know, that's not for me. I'm here. That's good enough, but that's not for me. He was stunned into silence. He had nothing to say. The king calls for his removal. Not only is he removed, but he's thrown into outer darkness, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king, when he addressed him, said, friend, friend, how did you get in here? I think if we look at this parable and where we are today, you know, I can't help but think that Matthew 7 comes to mind. Jesus will look at the gathering and he said, you know, I'm going to separate some of you out of here. You say, well, Lord, didn't we, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? I think Jesus again tells us here there'll be some in the midst like the wheat and tares who need to be separated. There's some people who think of themselves as friends who really aren't. See, Jesus knows that there are people who pretend to be his friends who are really not dressed in his righteousness, but as the scripture says, not Keith Pugh, but as the scripture says, are really in reality wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. So the feast has been spread, the way has been prepared, the invitation has been given, the wedding clothes are provided, everything is there for them. They know it all, but they refuse to receive the gracious provision of the king. These are people, I believe Jesus would say, they're trusting in their own righteousness. And they may fool some, but the Lord knows their heart. They've never been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Church, as the invitation goes out to the evil and the good, you know, when Paul addressed the church at Corinth, he said, you know that immoral people, you know drunkards, you know, and he gave a whole list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know people like that are not going to be in the kingdom. And such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. All those, the evil and the good, when they came to the king's feast, they realized they had to change. They had to put on a new clothing. They had to put on the king's clothing. Everybody did except one guy. He refused. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, the Lord has clothed me with garments of salvation. Don't miss this. You're here, but are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? Paul said in Galatians 3.27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul said, I want to be found righteous that day, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the invitation, the king's invitation. 
You know, I think one of God's favorite words in all of scripture is come. We see it all throughout the Bible. Isaiah 1.18, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What an invitation. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy burdened. Come to me and I'll give you rest. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Revelation 22, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. God's gracious invitation, the king's invitation to you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, is come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come, receive his righteousness. We're not just forgiven. He forgives us, but he also gives us his righteousness, the, the right to be, have, be seated at the table, to become a child of God. Verse 14, and we'll be done. For many are called, but few are chosen. There were many people who received the invitation of the king. Many people were invited to come to this celebration. Many people were invited to come and be a part of the king's son's wedding, and they refused. Few were chosen. Many were invited, but a few are those who heard the call, the invitation. And the only thing they did different from the others is they accepted it. They received it. Thereby, they are among the chosen. These people dropped everything they were doing, and they came. The invitation was spread. The invitation, the invitation was given to many. Many were called, but only a few responded. Both evil and good came. They heard and responded with faith. They received the wedding clothes provided, the righteousness of Christ, and they celebrated with the king and his son. This morning, hear the king's invitation. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that your invitation, your invitation, not an invitation from a church or a preacher, but your invitation to this celebration for all eternity would be heard and received today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict of sin and judgment Lord, I pray for those who may have kind of come through and just kind of found their way into the church and been a good person for a long time and, Lord, feel even comfortable here, but they're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Still trusting maybe in their own goodness. Lord, a trap that many of us fall into when we grow up in the church. Lord, help us to see that the only way we can be found righteous is through the righteousness of Jesus that's imparted to us by faith. He took our sin and gives us his righteousness so that we can be found among those who are chosen. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would do the work that only he can do this morning. Lord, as a church, may we rejoice in the salvation that we've been called to Lord, may we be known as those who celebrate life. Lord, may we be known as those who, Lord, we're, we're, we haven't been called to a funeral. We've been called to a feast, a feast. And may the joy of the Lord be our strength. 
for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.